Gone are the days of knights and chivalry, and yet that hasn't changed God's vision of you as a man of valor. Today, pornography is a simple mouse click away, and sexual addiction is at an epidemic level. Dr. Mark Laser is an internationally known author and speaker, the leading Christian authority on sexual addiction, and the host of Faithful and True's new online radio production, The Men of Valor Program. Here now is Dr. Mark Laser. Welcome to the Men of Valor Program. I'm Randy Everett, and we're here again this week with our host, Dr. Mark Laser. Uh, we have been talking about the seven principles of accountability over the last couple of shows, and today is our third and final uh, wrap-up of that discussion. Uh, today, Dr. Laser is going to be uh, talking about principles five, six, and seven. How are you this morning, Mark? Well, I think I'm awake, Randy. This is a good sign. Yeah, it always is. Um, just a reminder to the listeners, uh, if they want to get caught up to go to the website or go to iTunes. And- Absolutely. On the, on the show page, we always have our current show. Uh, the show we're recording this morning will be up this afternoon. And then, uh, as Mark just referenced, we have the podcast archive, uh, page that is, uh, part of the Men of Valor show page there in which you can, uh, go back in time and listen to all of our previous shows. So, in other words, we're not going to summarize the principles. We're just going to keep rolling on. That's a great idea. So, principle number five of accountability is, uh, I think, one of the ones that's the uh, least understood. It basically is stated this way. If you're going to be accountable, you have to have a plan uh, for the temptations that you know are going to come in life. Uh, Prepare ahead, sometimes in a time of strength, uh, for a time of weakness that we all know is going to hit us. I think all of the listeners can identify with the fact that they've made commitments to some kind of change, a change uh, of uh, stopping a behavior, a change of starting a new and positive and healthy behavior. We all have good intentions, and then there comes along those temptations uh, to do whatever it is we're trying to stop or to uh, to not do whatever it is we're trying to start. So Uh, This principle really speaks to that, and it says that uh, when we're committed, when we're strong, when we're feeling uh, more energetic about this, we should have a a definite plan in place uh, to deal with those temptations when they occur. Now, uh, last week you were talking about having those trusted resources, uh, those those people that you can turn to in those moments of weakness. Right. Is, is that part of this plan you're talking about? That is definitely part of the plan, meaning that, uh, you know, principle uh, three is that uh, if we're going to make a change, we all need a group of some sort of accountability. And I think, again, one of the least understood uh, parts of that is that it needs to be more people than we think. Uh, right. The average guy believes that uh, I can have one accountability partner, and that person's going to check with me once a week to see how it's going. Well, you know, that might work for some more minor things. Uh, uh, I've got a current project I'm working on, and I have uh, one accountability partner who reminds me about how I'm doing with that. Uh, That's not a major change I'm trying to make in my life. That's just a writing project I'm trying to get done. Uh, some of the major things, we're going to need those uh, 10 guys. And the reason we're going to need 10 is that uh, you know we need uh, constant reminders, uh, number one. Number two, we need to have uh, guys that we can call and get with uh, even at you know the last minute if we need to. So uh, this, uh, this preparation does mean cultivating you know, that group of uh, 
let's just keep it around number 10 guys that I, you know, are part of our accountability network. What other steps can you take then? Uh, once you have that group of support in place, um, what other steps are possible uh, for you to make to be prepared for those moments? Well, I think it's uh, really important for uh, all of us, if we're trying to make a change, to uh, <clears throat> spend some time reflecting on you know, what are some of the uh, factors in place, the elements in place, the vulnerabilities in place when temptations are more likely. So part of the preparation is understanding, you know, if I'm uh, tired, I'm probably more likely to uh, get tempted. If I'm lonely, if I'm angry, if I'm... This is something which Alcoholics Anonymous years ago called the acronym HALT. I'm hungry, I'm angry, I'm lonely, I'm tired. Uh, Part of what this is about is looking at the times when uh, you've tried to stop something, haven't been able to do it, what were the factors that led up to um, doing it again? Uh, What were the emotional vulnerabilities, the physical vulnerabilities? Uh, What were the uh, perhaps rituals that led up to it? So that you should have a very detailed idea of the conditions under which uh, it became more likely that you were going to uh, be be uh, unsuccessful. Is it usually the same type of uh, um, uh, circumstance that that leads to the uh, the the breakdown of being able to cope with it? Well, you know, it, it can vary somewhat, but generally speaking, I think uh, uh, we're all we're all more likely, don't you think, to be more tempted to be more vulnerable if we're tired? Absolutely. Uh, if we're in an angry place. Uh, Sometimes when we're angry, we say, you know, what the heck, I'm going to go ahead and do this anyway or not do this anyway. Um, uh, When we say hungry, we mean we probably have some kind of uh, desires that are not getting met. So I think there's some universals at place here. And then having said that, every individual is uh, totally unique in terms of, you know, what their rituals might be, what are some of the elements around them. Let's say you work at a particular job and your boss is uh, cranky or not a very nice person in general, and he comes in and uh, you know reams you out about something. Uh, all of us, you know, should know if that were to be the circumstance, then uh, we might be more angry, we might be more anxious, we might be um, you know more emotionally tired of that kind of thing. We're going to be more vulnerable at that point in terms of whatever the temptations are. So that's the point at which we need to have a plan in place sure. to deal with that. When you know that that's one of your personal triggers, right. you're, you're, you're prepared in advance uh, to handle that appropriately. Yeah, that's exactly right. So uh, <clears throat> I think more so than uh, the average person realizes, this preparation piece uh, involves doing a little uh, history work to understand uh, what are the elements that made you more uh, susceptible to this in the first place. Okay. And and when can uh, an individual feel secure that they are properly prepared? Well, I'm not sure. <clears throat> I think one of the things uh, that we all had to have is an attitude of certain uh, powerlessness. That was principle number one. And uh, that there uh, there there is no such thing as, as a perfect preparedness. Uh, in fact, some of our preparedness is recognizing that there's going to be times... <laughs> the imperfection of our preparedness. Right. That, you know, we're we're probably not going to have, in, in every case, uh, a totally, absolutely uh, foolproof plan in place. But <clears throat> that does involve, you know, part of this principle, which is I think all of us that are trying to make a change should be in the habit of regularly talking to people, regularly calling people, 
when I first got in recovery now over 25 years ago, uh, my first uh, sponsor in the program uh, wanted me to call him three times every day. I said, I, I'm probably not going to need to call you three times every day. And he said, I don't care whether you need to or not. I want you to get in the habit of doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was literally true that <clears throat> if he didn't get that call, uh, he would call me. And there were days when, you know, whatever preparation I had made, they were inadequate. And, and it was that call uh, from him or that reaching out by him that was enough to, uh, to stop me or to uh, prevent me from doing what I was going to do. So uh, <clears throat> I think the other part of this is uh, at times anticipating, you know, going into situations which we know might be dangerous or triggering. Uh, the one that I always think of, and uh, it's applicable today, I mean, uh, for me, uh, today I'm, <clears throat> I'm going to be, uh, later on today after we tape the show, uh, I'm going to be uh, going to the airport, getting on a plane, uh, going to Denver, going to be teaching um, there at the uh, seminary in Denver. And uh, so I'm going to be by myself. I'm going to be in a hotel room by myself uh, over the next couple of nights. And uh, <clears throat> I think there there might be certain preparations that I need to make uh, to be by myself alone in a hotel room. In the old days when, uh, you know, part of my junk was to, uh, uh, you know, look at the the uh, pornography that was on the the television, uh, I would do one of two things. I I would call the hotel in advance. Uh, I would tell them to turn off access to all of that uh, cable stuff. Uh, If they weren't able to exactly do that, uh, there was even a couple times when I asked them to uh, take the television out of my room. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's preparation. There were other times in the early days, particularly when I traveled, when I had checked out <clears throat> local support group meetings. So if I'm going to Denver, which I am, um, I happen to know because Denver was one of the cities in the early days where I checked out you know, the 12-step meetings that were going on in Denver before I ever got there. I knew when they met. I knew where they met. I knew the times they met. I knew a contact person there. And um, the truth of it is is that uh, I have a lot of friends in Denver because of the fact that uh, I I, uh, I went to 12-step meetings there sure. uh, back in the early days of my travel. Um, so if you're going into a uh, dangerous and vulnerable situation where you know that the factors are in place that might make it more likely for you to uh, be tempted, then I think uh, we prepare ahead and have a plan in place. Uh, I was talking to a guy last night who is uh, traveling for two weeks to Amsterdam. Well, you know, we all know that Amsterdam is a beautiful city. There's wonderful things to see there. And it is one of the world's largest red light districts there. So um, he has a plan in place of phone calls, emails, Skype sessions, uh, not with me necessarily, with, uh, you know, his accountability brothers. He's got a, a regular plan to check in daily with his wife. Uh, and, you know, he's found a hotel that's not anywhere near that kind of stuff. So, you know, He's prepared ahead for the two-week time in a very, very dangerous and vulnerable place. Right. Okay. Now, you know, obviously uh, our work here, we deal with uh, people struggling with uh, uh, stopping uh, sexual behavior. So, you know, my examples sometimes kind of tend to center around that. I mean, the same kind of principles would apply to, you know, alcoholism, eating disorder, gambling problems, whatever it is we're trying to change. uh, There are plans that can be made. 
Uh, it, it seems to be a support system and, a, and uh, being prepared no matter what your struggle is, uh, those same right. principles seem to apply. Yeah, and I, I think one of the, the, the principles of the principle is that, that uh, traditionally a lot of people who struggle with this tend to be more reactive. They, they tend to think, you know, when a temptation hits, then I'll deal with it. The Part of what temptations bring with them is a lot of thought life that is kind of screwing with the person's mind, and uh, they, they're not going to feel like reaching out if, if they're just reactive. Another way of stating this principle is that accountability is proactive, not reactive. Right, okay. And that leads us to our next principle, uh, principle number six. This is actually one of my favorites uh, because I, uh, I think it's so positive, as uh, the listeners will see here in just a minute. But principle number six stated uh, directly is we need to be uh, building something or starting something uh, as much as we need to be stopping something. So all along we've been saying that this series of shows is for people who want to start something or stop something. The truth of it is we probably all at some point in our life need to be in the process of doing both. Mm-hmm. Um, AA puts it this way, if you're going to stop something, in their case drinking, then start something. Mm-hmm. If you're going to stop something, start something. That might be one of the easiest ways of stating this principle also. And and what I think about is those people who uh, are pursuing destructive behaviors, uh, they're probably doing it with a great deal of energy, a great deal of passion, a great deal of uh, creativity. Um, one guy came in the group a while back, and uh, he had stopped uh, his problem with Internet addiction, and uh, he had been doing Internet addiction uh, four hours every day. So he, he came in the group. He was a little bit angry. It was like a three-year-old coming to their parents and saying, I'm bored, but that's basically what he was saying. He said, uh, Dr. Laser, you need to tell me what I'm supposed to do with the uh, four extra hours I have now every day. So um, I can't emphasize enough that uh, particularly if you know the change you're wanting to make is to stop something, you need to start something that's positive, that's healthy, that's creative, that's productive, that's passionate. Um, I, I notice for myself that when I'm involved in uh, positive stuff, when I'm when I'm writing a book, when I'm preparing for something, when I'm building something, even literally building something, whether it's a home remodeling project or something like that, I'm using my creative energy. And uh, my creative energy is such that, you know, I'm not distracted, I'm not bored, I'm not more susceptible to temptation. So part of the, uh, there's, you know, questions along the way that uh, we'd like to challenge the listeners with, particularly, you know, if you're listening to this as part of a larger support group, um, Encourage each other about what in your life you might be uh, building. You know, what, what is your vision in a way for, um, you know, the kind of positive things you'd like to start in your life? Um, one of the favorite examples that I always use uh, in terms of the, uh, um, one of my older examples of this, back in, the, back in the early days of my recovery, after I'd been uh, sober for about three years, <clears throat> I was invited to, uh, by a publisher to write a book. And uh, <clears throat> I wanted to write a book. You know, there was a part of me that looked forward to writing a book. Uh, uh, I'd always, uh, <clears throat> you know, valued the identity, I think, of being an author. And uh, But it was a daunting project. It was a 220-page book. I, I had some uh, uh, shame about the fact that maybe nobody wants to read a book by a, uh, you know, recovering sex addict. So... Uh, what happened was 
I certainly had a deadline, you know, to get this manuscript in. And uh, I was at that time working at a treatment center, and it was the treatment center that was uh, founded by the uh, pioneer in our field, Dr. Patrick Kearns. So I was working directly with Pat. My office was in the same building with with him, and uh, we frequently worked together back in those days. He knew I had this deadline about this book, and uh, he came into my office one day and simply asked, you know, how is that book going? And, uh, you know, I said, um, fine, which is sometimes what we all say, you know, it's fine. And uh, he looked at me and said, you're, you're a liar. And I said, well, you're right. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Guilty. Know, yeah, it's really not going fine. And uh, he said, you're having a shame attack, I'm guessing. And I said, yeah, you're right. I don't, you know, I'm, I don't really think people want to read a book by me. And he said, why don't you call the publisher and see if that's true? And so I did, and I talked to the uh, editor, Sandy Vanderside at Zondervan, and she said, Mark, if you, know, you weren't a recovering person, we wouldn't want you writing this book. I mean, you're the exactly right person to be writing this book. So, you know, I was uh, uh, wrong about that, which we frequently are when we have these shame thoughts. Um, so then Pat said, uh, uh, you're probably struggling with the length of this book. And I said, I am. And then he, he, uh, he led me through a series of questions in which he pointed out to me that when I was in college, uh, and graduate school, I used to write papers, you know, the night before they were due. That's kind of the way my brain works. I need the adrenaline of a deadline to get motivated. So he said, uh, you probably wrote 10, 15, 20-page papers in a given night. And I said, yeah, that's true. And he said, uh, would it be more realistic to think that you could write two pages a night? And I was kind of um, incredulous. I said, you know, two pages is really nothing. That's no big deal. He said, well, how long is this book? I said, 220 pages. He said, that's basically 110 days. He's, uh, then he said, how about if I call you, you know, once a night, every several days, and uh, just ask you whether you've written your uh, pages two, today. two pages today. And so he started doing that. And uh, since he was a huge father figure in my life, I didn't want to disappoint dad, you know. So uh, I, I did sit down, got cranked out. And, I, you know, I found once I got into the book, you know, it was inspiring, it was motivating, it was creative, it was productive, it was passionate. And so, uh, honestly, um, that book, which is today called Healing the Wounds of Sexual Addiction, was written in about 29 days. Right. And there are people who have said, you know, that reflects upon the quality of the book. But I'm, I'm thankful for great editing at Zondervan. But the point I'm trying to make is that I was trying to build something, and in this case I was building a book, and uh, I needed uh, part of my accountability network, which in those days included Pat Carnes, to regularly call me and ask me if I was doing that, you know. And uh, so, you know, we think uh, accountability is about guys reminding us to stop something, but I think equally uh, accountability is about guys reminding us to start something or stay with something that we have started. It's funny, as I hear you explain this uh, so eloquently, um, we're big fans of the uh, of the NBC show uh, Biggest Loser. Oh, sure. And and so hearing you describe that, just watching the last two nights, um, mm. I, I see those same principles being used as the trainers are trying right. to inspire these people to stop their old habits. You know, they right. haven't been working out; they've been eating poorly, and there's right. all of the psychological, um, you know, badgering that they do to themselves. Right. And uh, when they finally break through and get to the heart of the matter and see what's really bothering the person, yeah. uh, then they start to build build them up yeah. on on uh, yeah. upon this very positive new life 
lifestyle change. Yeah, that's exactly it. And uh, I never watched that show, but I, you know, I could only imagine that you know some of those trainers have to be at some point. Uh, they have to be tough drill sergeants, and then they have to be at other times just outright encouragers. Very, so. and and they walk that fine line between, right. between doing both. And a lot depends on the individual. They they get sure. to be very talented at reading the personality of the person that they're helping because some people are really motivated by that drill sergeant mentality while others you have to stop and it's the armor on the shoulders and saying i understand i know you can do this right so let's just uh you know we're not going to pause on the show but you know if the uh, listeners want to pause this for a minute uh particularly if they're listening to this in a group and ask themselves the question what is it you'd like to start what is it you'd like to start building and uh uh then if you're uh, in an accountability group, remember those 10 guys, or maybe at this point you've only got several, uh, ask them to check with you regularly as to how you're doing on starting, staying started, um, or just uh, engage yourself in a conversation on uh, maybe right now even as you're listening, you, you uh, haven't clearly identified something you'd like to start. And uh, this is really, in a larger context, uh, a matter of what's your vision for your life, you know, what um, what do you want to accomplish and where are you going? You know, read uh, um, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Men or something like that if you want to get motivated. Uh, read uh, The Purpose Driven Life about vision and calling. Um, get a sense in your life of where you're going and then try to decide on what are some of the positive changes that you need to start. That sounds like a great idea. That brings us to our uh, seventh and final principle. Right. right, and this is an easier one and a shorter one to talk about. Um, one of the things that uh, I, you know both impressed me and also uh, bothered me uh, when I first became acquainted years and years and years ago with Alcoholics Anonymous was the idea that um, you are going to be an alcoholic for the rest of your life and that uh, you're only one drink away, uh, once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. Uh, you're always going to have to go to meetings. You're always going to have to be in accountability and that kind of thing. You know, there was a part, I'll be honest, of my uh, Christian mind that thought, well, you know, if you repent, if uh, you get saved or, you know, whatever, you should be, uh, you know, able to make a change, get delivered. I had kind of a, what I, what we sometimes call a deliverance mentality of change. And uh, I was resistant to the idea that whatever it is I had done um, in uh, the early days of making this change, I would maybe need to do for the rest of my life. So, um so, of course, now I get involved in my own recovery back in 1987. And there again, I was wondering, okay, these people are telling me I've got to go to meetings every week. I've got to have some of these earlier principles that I've talked about. Am I going to have to do this forever? And uh, what I've found out over the years is uh, that uh, what, what happens, I think, if you, know, if you start implementing these principles, uh, they become normal. You know, they they become what you're used to doing, and you would, in fact, uh, miss them if you didn't. So <clears throat> if you go to meetings, uh, that fellowship of men, if you didn't have it, you'd uh, miss it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you get in the habit of making phone calls and connecting, uh, if you stop doing it, you would miss it. I think, uh, I think a lot of the men that I work with, though, they get to a point, particularly six to 12 months out, when they think this is a lot of work, it gets tiring, you know, I'm worn out, uh, you know, in the case of going to counseling, it's expensive and all this kind of stuff. And so sometimes they, uh, they stop before the, uh, the change is really fully cemented in place. Uh, I call it my, uh, 
antibiotic teaching. Uh, I don't know if all of the listeners have ever had to take an antibiotic, but you know what the doctor is going to say. If I give you 10 days worth of this antibiotic, after the second day, you're going to start feeling better and you're going to be tempted to stop taking the antibiotic. But if you stop taking it, the uh, infection or whatever it is will return. So take the whole 10 days. That's really what this principle is. If I could state it simply, do whatever it takes for as long as it takes, including the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. Um, Do all of these principles in such a way that the principles become your normal uh, standard of uh, living, uh, and they don't seem uh, exceptional after a time. Mm -hmm. It will get tiring. It will get uh, sometimes expensive. It will at points be inconvenient to do some of these accountability principles. But uh, everybody that I talk to who's gotten to um, three to five years of sobriety basically will say the same thing. I'm grateful for what I've had to do. Uh, I enjoy doing what I started doing. And I'm going to continue doing it for the rest of my life. Uh, don't get me wrong. If, you know, in the first 90 days of a recovery program, you need to go to a meeting every day. Chances are you're not going to need to do that for the rest of your life. But going to meetings, being in fellowship, having an accountability team of place. You know, the truth of it is I don't need my accountability uh, group of men in my life to uh, make the same changes today that I was making 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but there comes along other things that I'm trying to do today in which my accountability group can now remind me about things I'm trying to stop or things that I'm trying to start. Well, and the friendship and the trust that's been built up over the years with that group of individuals is so set in stone that... Uh, yeah, that that you know you can trust them. You know that you're going to hear the truth right. when you when you turn to them. Um, as we wrap up today's show, Mark, um, like for you to tell our listeners. Uh, we're going to tease them a little bit because we've got a couple of special guests coming in next week. That is right. Uh, we've got uh, some internationally known experts, uh, Dr. David Delmonico and uh, Elizabeth Griffin, who uh, have been involved in our field for you know twenty or more years. Uh, and they are international experts in uh, internet and uh, the dangers of the internet, uh, how easy it is to get sucked into internet addiction, and uh, they they have some very clear ideas about what all of us can do to avoid the dangers of the internet. Oh, we're excited to to know that uh, they're going to be joining us, and uh, we'd like to thank our listeners again today. Any uh, any uh, thoughts to leave the listeners to as we wrap things up here? Well, I'm just aware of the fact that uh, you know all of these shows, these seven principles, they sound daunting, they sound challenging, they sound difficult. Uh, you know, basically they sound inconvenient at times and they're going to involve, you know, getting out of a comfort zone. Anytime we're getting out of a comfort zone, that's exactly where accountability uh, comes in. And that's exactly, though, where AA talked about do this one day at a time. Don't look at this for the rest of your life like I was just talking about, but look at what you need to do tomorrow, what you need to do for the next week. Keep it simple, and uh, I think you'll find that uh, before too long you'll recognize doing this one day at a time. You've got a fair amount of time in place that you've actually accomplished the change that you're trying to make. And if you'd like even more details about these seven principles that uh, Dr. Laser has been talking about over the past three shows, 
his book, The Seven Principles of Highly Accountable Men, uh, that's one of the three books in his Men of Valor series. And uh, we would encourage you to take a look at faithfulandtrue.com. Visit our bookstore where uh, you can uh, purchase that book and uh, that and uh, the other uh, titles available by Dr. Laser and his wife, Debbie Laser. We thank you for listening to the Men of Valor program. I'm Randy Everett. I'd like to thank Ben Laser, our engineer and technical director. And we'll be back with you again next week. You've been listening to the Men of Valor program with Dr. Mark Laser. For information about this program or to learn more about Faithful and True, visit us at FaithfulandTrue.com. That's FaithfulandTrue.com.